That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the religious authority. And suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. So I'm going to tell you a story uh, about where I saw God moving this week. Um, at the Edge House every year, we have a Godspeed um, service. It's normally during Nosh, which is our uh, dinner church that we do on Sunday nights. This year, for scheduling reasons, we couldn't do it on, on this coming, well, today, I guess. <laughs> what day is it even? Um, we couldn't do it today for scheduling reasons. So we did it on Thursday. Uh, we had uh, four people who are graduating and leaving us this year, and so we did our Godspeed thing. Now, it's, I think we've done a little Godspeed moment here in some services periodically. I, I don't know that it's like super common, but we've done it sometimes. Um, and we'll come some we'll lay hands on and there's uh, some prayers and, and short things, right? It's beautiful, love it. We do it a lot longer than that. <laughs> um, so it's in the context of Nosh, which is our dinner church. So we've already you know, done our readings and we've sat down and had dinner and we've done all that stuff. And then we go into the living room and we sit down and we take as long as it takes for everyone in the room to have the opportunity to tell the people who are leaving what they mean to them in incredible detail. <laughs> so we have the opportunity to tell those folks who are leaving how much we love them, how much we've seen them grow and change over the years. Um, and they have the chance to say those things back to the community. Um, and it, it does go on a bit. <laughs> Uh, it's at least 45 minutes, sometimes it's an hour, who knows. Uh, and when we have a lot of people graduating, just buckle up. <laughs> You're going to be there for a while. Not a great first Sunday to come to Nosh, just FYI. <laughs> what is happening? Anyway, Thursday we did this. And there is such a tenderness to this evening, every time. Such a, a vulnerability, such a gift to being able to be in the presence of that honesty, right? Because it's not just, I love you, which is a big deal anyway, <laughs> right? That's enough of a big deal just to tell somebody that you love them. But to tell them why you love them, it's a lot. 
So we have one student um, who gra is graduating this year, uh, who's been here five years, she's in the engineering program. Her freshman year was a mess. It was rough. She said on Thursday um, that she didn't think that she would still be here without the Edge House. And she didn't mean UC. She meant it all. And I remember that year. It's a rough year. She really struggled, and she um, shared with her, at, at that time, she shared with the small group she was part of at the Edge House, um, various emotional things. And the student who was the leader of that group came to me at one point and said, this is beyond my pay grade. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, like, I don't know what to, like, I, I care for her, and I, I don't want her to be in this space, but I don't know what to do. Fair enough. So I went to her and said, he's struggling. I, it sounds like you're having a hard time. How can we help you? How can we support you? She was very angry. Um, she felt like that was a betrayal. And she felt like she didn't need help. It's fine. Three days later, she called me. She's like, okay, I, I need help. So I went with her and sat in the waiting room in the um, counseling and psychological services office as she went and had her intake interview. And she got a therapist, and she's on anti-anxiety meds. And five years later, she's engaged, and she's going off to have a fabulous job uh, at Honda, I think? I'm not sure. Uh, engineering things. Um, she's in a great space. Now, she's not finished. None of us are. But that five years, right? What a difference! And to see her come into herself. And then, so she shares this, I know these things, and then one of our freshmen, who's had a rough year, says to her, you have made this place safe for me. It's so beautiful. It makes me cry every time to see them make this space for each other to give each other what they need. It is a privilege to sit in that space with them when they are struggling and when they can name it and when they can transform. They cry, they hand off responsibility for things to each other, they learn how to ask for what they need and to do so without fear. And many of them, when they show up, doubt that there is a place for them. Whether it's at UC or it's at the Edge House or in the world, what is my place? Where do I belong? They wonder if there's a community outside what they've always known. And in that moment, certainly over the time, the longer stretch of time when they're at the Edge House, but in that moment of Godspeed, they embody the kingdom. They are living what Jesus says is near. It's this radical welcome that we as a community offer and that you as a community offer to them. I wish that you could be in a, fl a fly on the wall for this moment or for any time at the Edge House. Side note, come on over any time. But I wish you could be a fly on the wall and see this. I want you to know that you have made this happen. You have allowed these students to have this experience. So thank you for that. And then they leave, <laughs> they graduate. Every year in the spring, we lose 25% of our students. Can you imagine if you think about who's here, like right now in the pews, but also who you know in this congregation, every spring, 25% of the people leave and don't come back. <sighs> 
And then you have to go find more in the fall. We grieve at Godspeed. We celebrate with them, but we grieve because they're leaving. And then we doubt, those of us who are left, is anybody gonna love us again? Literally, that's the question that goes through my head every summer. Spoilers, they do. (laughs) They do find us again. They do love us again. This is where Thomas was, I think, when he missed Jesus showing up to the disciples. So you've you've heard that story many times, that after uh, the resurrection, the disciples are afraid that they're going to be next, and they've locked themselves into this room, and then Jesus pulls this great David Blaine magic trick and just shows up in the room, breathes on them and says, peace be with you, and shows them his wounds. Thomas gets a bad rap for asking to see that. The other disciples already saw it. Jesus already gave them that, right? And they tell Thomas during the week, they're like, can you believe it? He showed up. And Thomas, bless him, he is all of us. I'd like to see it. (laughs) Who wouldn't think that? My buddy, first of all, that's rude. My buddy, your buddy, who just died horribly on this cross, you're telling me he's back. First of all, I'd like to see it. Second of all, rude. That doesn't happen. Stop being mean. I want to see him too. Like this experience, right? And then he's there again in the room and Jesus shows up again. I love this. Everyone in the history of the world who has ever had a doubt about something within the the Christian faith who has said, like Thomas, I would like to see it. We all get a bad rap. But Jesus shows up and turns to Thomas and says, here it is. It's me. It's really me. He gives him what he needs, right? And then we've got these lines that, again, often are are weaponized. Jesus says, don't doubt, but believe. And I don't know, maybe some of you guys have heard things like that. Certainly a lot of my students have been told, doubting's wrong. You cannot doubt. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. Well, I mean, that's true, but still, (laughs) doubt is a part of our experience. And that word is, is pistos. The Greek word there is pistos. And it's, it has sort of the flavor of doubt, but that's not really exactly what it means either. It's about trust. It's about faith. And it's not, it's not about believing in the sense of here's a checklist, right? I can, I can say, yes, I believe in this, and I've got the proof of this, right? That's, it's about opening our hearts. It's about trusting in a story that is bigger than us, in something mysterious, something beautiful and a gift. Doubt itself is not a bad thing. Theologian Paul Tillich in the mid-20th century said, doubt is not the opposite of faith, it is one element of faith. Or there's a Chinese proverb that I, I really love this, great doubts, deep wisdom. Small doubts, little wisdom. Because doubt could be, this is stupid, I don't want to be part of it. But mostly, doubt is a question. How could this be? I wonder, what if? These are good questions. 
And I don't know about you, but for me, some of the most profoundly moving moments of my faith have been when someone asked a question and I went, ooh, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Because then it opens up the possibility, it opens up space for God to move and give you more. I could go on and on. I won't. But I think that Thomas should be our patron saint, the man who says, I'd like to see it. And then when he does see it, crashes to his knees and says, my Lord and my God. It's both at the same time. This story resonates. That same day that we had our um, Godspeed evening, I met with my contemplative clergy group that I have met with for over a decade now, same group of clergy, Uh, and we were talking about the power of stories, how stories shape us, and one of my good friends there um, was like, oh yeah, listen, I just heard this story about Margaret Mead, the amazing uh, anthropologist, and she was, had been asked uh, apparently about what is, what was the beginning of civilization as an anthropologist, what, what would she notice is the moment when humans became sort of civilized, and the, the student was expecting things like something about pottery or weapons or something like that. Uh, And Margaret Mead tells this story about seeing uh, in the archaeological record uh, a broken femur that had been healed, thigh bone. Those are hard to heal. (laughs) Takes a lot of time. Um, Can't move a lot. Takes a lot of care. And so the story goes that Margaret Mead said, that's the beginning of civilization is when we care for each other, when we spend that time for each other. That's beautiful. Love that story. Right? It's transformative. And it, and it resonates with us, right? Like, yes, how we care for each other is meaningful. She didn't say that. <laughs> um, perhaps you are aware that there's lots of things people post on the interwebs that are not true. Um, we do have in the archaeological record thigh bones that have been healed, and it's absolutely a testament to how humans care for each other. That is real. Margaret Mead did not say that. <laughs> And I said that in the conversation. And we had already been talking about Thomas a little bit. And one of my friends looked at me and went, Thomas! <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know. It's important to know what we're actually talking about, though, right? I would like to see it. I would like to know what's actually being said, what has actually happened here. They did mend thigh bones. That story is real and powerful and transformative. And it's important for us to be able to ask the questions of what we see and what we hear. What's real? What's powerful here? What resonates? One of my other favorite stories is the one, I don't know if you've heard about this or seen it, um, the story about how uh, we talk about witches with the hats and the brooms. Where did that image come from? Supposedly it comes from uh, women being the brewers of beer for a long time and they would put a broom out in front of their houses to signify they had beer available and they wore these. No, it's not real. Women did brew beer, though. Women were the primary beer brewers. Where's the truth? Where's the nugget of the story that resonates with us? Years ago, when I was uh, walking through uh, the Camino de Santiago with my students, we wondered if the bones at the sanctuary in Santiago, if they were really St. James bones. The Pope says they are. I don't know. So we talked about this a lot. We got to the plaza, finally, after 70 miles of walking, and we collapsed on the ground. Physical, emotional exhaustion from that 
experience. And I had this moment of realization just washed over me and I, I started crying. I want them to be real. It doesn't matter if they are. I want them to be the bones of the brother of Jesus. I want to be in the presence of that. It's a real story. It's like Jesus showing up and going, it's me. These students at the Edge House doubt whether they're really accepted. They doubt their trust in God. They even sometimes doubt God's existence. They doubt their future because they're asking those questions that are gonna show them the real story. Jesus showing up, a deeper story. When I worked at Redeemer in Hyde Park, the question that we asked at the beginning of every meeting, and I mean literally every meeting, of everyone in the room was, where have you seen God this week? Every meeting. I want to invite you to take that question with you. Where have you seen God? What is the story of this week? Where have you seen God moving and showing up and looking you in the eyes? I'm here. Whoever you came with to church today, I want you, when you get in the car, to ask each other that question. If you came by yourself, call someone else. You don't get out of it. Where have you seen God? And when I leave you today with a blessing, this is the blessing that we give to all of our graduates at the Edge House when they leave us at Godspeed. Um, it's a little heavy, but I want to leave it with you today. I think this is a, a bit of a St. Thomas blessing. Uh, you have a response. Your response to each of these petitions is, Amen, Alleluia. Okay? Friends, may God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships that you may live deep within your heart. Amen. Alleluia. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. Amen. Alleluia. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, and war so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and to turn their pain into joy. Amen. Alleluia. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. Amen. Hallelujah.